Small businesses make huge impacts to our economy. This is true in every industry and may be even more important to our country's defense than anything else. Hi, I'm Dylan Drake, Program Manager for Phillips Federal and your host for the TechShift Podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Jason Dickman, CTO of Classic Manufacturing. Classic has a long and significant history in additive manufacturing industries. Jason's 30-year-plus career encompasses a wide range of disciplines, from jet engine component design to 3D scanning and handmade sculptures for toy development. Jason has held positions from entry-level finisher to service bureau owner and CEO. Having multiple roles in the industry, he has a unique perspective as a former designer, engineer, machine operator, capital equipment salesperson, and investor. Jason has owned and operated multiple polymer and metal printer systems starting in 1990 and continues to manufacture AM parts to this day. Jason co-founded, managed, and invested in multiple AM service bureaus and has introduced AM to thousands of companies. Jason currently serves on the board of directors for the Additive Manufacturing User Group as the director of membership and is a recipient of the Dino Award in 2014. Now let's jump on in. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dylan. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's been a it's been a few years since we've seen each other in person, but I, it seems like I normally always run into you at conferences. So it's it's nice to have you on. <laughs> I really appreciate it, and uh, thank you for the patience and pulling us together. We're we're both kind of busy. <laughs> no worries. You could say that again, man. So. <laughs> For our audience, could you give a, a, a brief background of you know who Jason Dickman is and what you've been doing the last few years? Well, Dylan, it's been about eight years since the sale of American Precision Prototyping, uh, which is the company where you and I met. Um, since then, I've you know immediately after that that sale of that company, I assumed a position at 3D Systems as a capital equipment sales guy. I did that to you know serve out some stock options and some things with that, that purchase or that sale agreement. Um, since then, I've uh, been in, have invested in a couple of different opportunities, some of those additive manufacturing, some of those successes, some not. Um, I'm currently the chief technology officer of uh, Classic Manufacturing, which is an additive manufacturing company. The, the, uh, you know, the name Classic is spelled with an IQ, meaning that we're smart additive manufacturing. So leveraging my experience um, as a service bureau, primarily focusing on uh, investment casting patterns, but we do all kinds of work, but that's, you know, we could touch on that later. Um, and then also part of my sort of later years in, in 3D printing, rapid prototyping, and additive manufacturing, um, I thought it was time to give back a little bit. So last year I ran for and was elected to the... Uh, uh, additive manufacturing board of directors. So I am the the director of membership for the 2023-2024 additive manufacturing user group. So congratulations. Yeah, I appreciate that. So Kellen, you being there. <laughs> You'll definitely <laughs> see me and a lot of other people. Speaking of the 3D systems, yeah. So just to give everyone a, a brief background, Jason actually hired me. He's the he's the guy that got me into additive mm -hmm. all those years ago and what started this whole like chain and 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 connections with everyone that I currently know in this space. So you actually started that. So I appreciate that's, it. You you, you started this. You you uh, you created this monster. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, Dylan, I'm really proud of you. And uh, 
So a, a brief, I actually have a photograph of you um, back in the direct metal area of American Precision. As you know, um, American Precision was two companies, basically. American Precision Prototyping, which I was an equity partner in, and then American Precision Machining, which my business partner and his son were equity partners in, and they did aerospace components, and they were AS9100. We were not back then. We were just uh, ISO as far as the, the prototyping side of the business. Um, so when 3D Systems purchased both of those companies as a package, um, I wound up running all of that. And mm -hmm. not being your boss at in you know originally, you ultimately came under my leadership, and then I met you and a couple of other guys that were really, I think, in assembly. Is that correct? Were you guys mm -hmm. assembly guys? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the assembly part of that business went away or was going away. We were bringing in more of the uh, 3D systems. I think it was the layer-wise machines, the Pro X 320. Is it 320, yeah. yeah. And uh, we, I looked for a few good employees that could, you know, learn and grow into those positions, knowing that you guys didn't know a whole lot about additive. So you guys did awesome. And you have, look what you've done with it. So congrats to you, man. Yeah, you started me out in metal and just never got out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well you know what's exciting about um you know you asked me what have i been doing um and you know part of this you know i've had a great career in in additive manufacturing and we'll thank a few folks at the end of this part of this you know as you become an older guy you're not there yet but you know your your life's work you know amounts to you, you make a lot of money and that's you know that's part of it but really seeing i've got about i don't know eight individuals that have gone on and done really well you being one of them so that's a good feeling you know that's not a credit to me that's you were given an opportunity others were given an opportunity so there's another you know probably eight on top of the eight that probably didn't make it but the eight that did make it are out there you know kicking you know kicking it and, and working hard and making a good career for themselves so that's uh, that makes me feel good yeah it all starts with a with the opportunity right so yeah yeah you can't really 100%. go much You'd just be burning your wheels unless someone actually gives you that, that, that chance. That's right. Yeah. So really kind of giving back, which if I could just add this, part of the additive manufacturing, you know, the, the AM, AMUG, the additive manufacturing user group, you know, being part of that board, which is a lot of folks that I've known for years and years, but not really knowing how much work they have they actually do to host that event. And Mark Apshar is the current president of that. Mark's a longtime friend, but you know, one of his, you know, mandates is the passing of the baton, for lack of a better term. So really, there's a lot of old guys like me that are kind of getting to retirement age or moving on. And we really need to embrace and educate and sort of download what we know to the, I don't want to call it the younger generation, but to the next generation. And I think that's happening. So that's, that's exciting, you know, passing it on. And, you know, just like I'm standing on the shoulder of giants, meaning Chuck Hall and those guys that invented this stuff you guys can, can take and, uh, you know, take this to the next level after what we have accomplished. That's awesome. Speaking yeah. of, when did you become, uh, I guess, a part of the AMUG group? So, wow. So the AMUG group, which used to be the 3D systems, stereolithography user group, and then the selective laser centering user group, they were you know, back in the day, maybe before you were born, I'm not sure, Dylan, um, <laughs> it was like Apple and Mac. You had powder and liquid. You had two different sort of technologies. Uh, of course, selective laser centering invented by Carl uh, Deckard in Austin, Texas, and then, you know, Chuck Hall on the, on the polymer side. 
um, those two user groups were, you know, started out with a couple of hundred uh, people gathering annually to discuss the technology and to try to advance it, to really try to set some standards and learn from one another. And of course, there's the social aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so to answer your question, I would say my first uh, user group was probably back in early 90s, 93, 94. So right around the time I was born, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Dale. <Dylan. laughs> yes, yes. So the, yes, yes. Um, yeah, you I threw it under the bus. So I, no, I no, no, why not a, roll with it? <laughs> so I think I was actually a, I think I was actually, you know, I grew up as like a CAD designer. I had a, had a lucky break and got a job at General Electric back in the day. Um, but the first user group was during my stint at Hasbro when we were, we were uh, bringing in rapid prototyping or rapid prototyping and 3D scanning lab into that facility in Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, Steve Deke was part of that. He was in the leadership and part of that early group that helped get, uh, you know, help propel the user group together or put that on. So, so he, mm-hmm. Steve would always go and I never got to go. So I complained a lot about that. I finally got to go as a part finisher. Um, so that was a interesting event. So from there, it's been, been a, many, many years visiting that. What you're telling me or what I'm hearing is, is this space is quite small. And I think everyone completely understands that, right? So mm-hmm. if you, if you know one person that normally that one person knows another person you already know, mm-hmm. especially in the AMUG uh, arena, right? That's that's super exciting, and I didn't know that actually stemmed back that far. Mm-hmm. Um, around the topic of where we first met in Oklahoma, I, I was always curious what got you interested or what pushed the the agenda of getting more involved with defense manufacturing, and how did you uh, step into that? So again, my not to make this all you know about me, but my my career started. You know, I was a lucky I was a lucky kid because I really was kind of a troublemaker back in the day and didn't really have college in my future. But mm-hmm. I I attended a, vo- a vocational technical college in in Northern Kentucky, which you know that's usually frowned upon these days. But it gave it, it opened doors up for me. So the the voc tech that I went to had connections at General Electric, Evendale, Ohio. So I was um, I was hired on there very early as an eighteen year old you know young man, and I. You know, the, my first job there was a draftsman, so it was wasn't even a computer. There was no. This is old school. People smoked in the in the room, and it was all men. And it was, you know, I've been blessed to see kind of the beginning and you know the transition of, you know, modern the modern race, especially in engineering. Um, but that was a you know that I spent nine years there, and that was you know from paper two D drawings all the way up through, you know, learning three D CAD and. Going, you know, they put me through an apprentice apprenticeship program at University of Cincinnati. So I started to do uh, more, you know, heavy uh, design and drafting, and you know, not really engineering per se. I didn't uh, finish that degree uh, until after I left. But um, so there was a passion there for um, aircraft, you know, aircraft engines, which are both military and commercial. And I was really on the on the military side. So I had uh, a lot of experience um, or experience in that space. So it's also where I was introduced to the first, you know, SLA 250, which changed my life. And that was, you know, then we pursued 3D printing and additive since then. Uh, 
Um, but you know, the love for you know aircraft, aircraft design, you know, the jet engine design. So I guess that's really what you know has always kind of stuck with me. And American Precision, um, just by chance, was a machine shop uh, that I partnered with to branch off and do a an additive you know, uh, sister company. So we were right next to a, and part of a company that was AS9100 and, and was doing, you know, some military, but a lot more commercial. As you remember, we were doing a lot of Spirit and Boeing and Gulfstream, that kind of work. So all that plays into, or I guess it could play into you know, your question about defense. Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of fast forward since then, I've had a lot of experience, you know, uh, Oklahoma is, uh, is home to the two biggest MROs, you know, commercial being the American Airlines MRO, that's maintenance, repair, and overhaul. And then uh, the military, which is Tinker Air Force Base. So right in your backyard, you've got the biggest, you know, MRO um, dealing with, uh, you know, defense and military, you know, applications. And they're, they're really pro-additive these days. So for the last, what, 10 maybe 15 years, they've really pushed additive as a solution for spare parts. So yeah, just Tinker itself. What, what is Tinker like over a mile long as, as a mile long building? If you have not been there, I would encourage if you ever, you know, that was one of my, one of the blessings, you know, I mentioned earlier, I was a capital equipment sales person for 3d systems. Um, I didn't sell a lot of printers. I really didn't. I mean, I, I liked the job, but my love is, engineering and manufacturing and really problem solving and creating components, delivering those in a, in short order and, you know, impressing people with the technology and saying, Here, here's this piece we made, you know, in a week or a couple of days. Um, so, uh, but, but selling equipment got me into a lot of places to see a lot of factories where they are making components. So it was great for networking. I did sell a few pieces of equipment. I think 3d was pretty happy with my performance there, but, uh, um, it, uh, as far as just my overall network of individuals and you know, places like Tinker, uh, mm -hmm. it was awesome to be able to get in there and, you know, do a, do a sales call for a machine, but get to see the factory and the people and what they do. It's huge. It's, it is, it's yeah, ginormous. Huge. It is. Yeah, yeah. It was a, yeah. it was the world's largest, uh, was it, uh, aerospace repair center at one point yeah. before it burned down. Right. Right. That's how big of a building you have. We can lose a quarter of it and still be like ginormous. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's still the largest, I believe, still the largest military MRO uh, on the planet. So that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of classic, so can you go in a little more detail on what is classic up to? So sure. What what, uh, what I guess what what do you provide uh, within so, this business? I appreciate you asking that. Thank you. So classic is really. When you sell a company and you go off and do other things and you fulfill your contract and then, you know, retirement is never going to be for me. Um, investing and helping other companies was also part of that. Some worked out, some did not. Classic is a, is a service bureau. It's a, it's a contract manufacturer. We really specialize in investment casting patterns for, you know, wax, PMMA, uh, a lot of SLA quick cast. Uh, and what's interesting about that is, you know, first of all, the, the business itself of classic is that it's um, it is a company that I will hang on to. I'll never sell. We'll continue to operate that until, you know, I'm gone or whatever. So it's a, I don't want to say it's a retirement, you know, it's a, it's a company that will keep me occupied for the next 
30 years, let's say. <laughs> um, it's also awesome because I did a lot of quick cast back in the day. Um, and quick cast goes back 20, 25 years, Dylan. I mean, Texas Instruments, you know, uh, they were using it. They were early adopters. They were making metal castings. It's really a way to make a complicated, large uh, investment casting without tooling. So the opportunity now is, is that uh, there's a several private space companies that leverage mm -hmm. this technology uh, and they leverage it in a good way. Um, if you can imagine um, specifically rocket engine design, there's several ink and L and uh, exotic alloy type castings that, um, you know, organic shapes or uh, unusual non-prismatic shapes, which are hard to, to tool, you know, uh, ceramic cores and things, they're able to print, they're able to design these for the performance that they need, but they're able to use SLA QuickCast to make a pattern, go into a foundry and make a, make a casting in short order without tooling. Because mm -hmm. uh, in many cases, I'll have 10 of what looks like the same part, but it'll be revision A through you know, J, so they can test what tweaks and what modifications actually, you know, perform as they predicted and, you know, in, in real time. So it's pretty awesome. So, so classic is, uh, we also do, I know this sounds weird, but we also do a fair amount of art projects because art is a something that's always been near and dear to me. And back in the American precision days when the company was big enough that I didn't have to really be involved so much on the day to day. I did a lot of art projects with the Metropolitan, with local artists, with big artists, um, just because it was cool that they were adapting <clears throat> rapid prototyping, 3D printing additive to their medium. Um, so we do we do a fair amount of that. That's, you know, artists are an interesting breed. They're either broke or they got a lot of money. There's no there's no middle ground. So either you're doing it <laughs> a charity because you love the project or you're doing it because they're going to they're pay the bill. So um, we do a lot of that. That's, you know, maybe... 10, 20% of our, our business. The bulk of it is, is uh, investment casting patterns using additive. That's awesome. So what kind of, uh, I guess, when we're looking at challenges revolving around investment casting or, or whatnot, what kind of lead time reductions are you looking at for production? Oh, well, it's significant. I mean, it's, you know, it's project and geometry based, mm -hmm. but uh, some of the projects we have in-house, the tooling for these would be, I mean, a couple of hundred thousand dollars for an inject for a tool to create a wax to go into traditional investment casting. Uh, not to mention the fact that there's typically cores involved, which means there's a ceramic core involved in the casting. So creating the core uh, is typically time consuming and expensive. You can also use additive for cores. So we work with another partner. They do the cores. We do the quick cast. The foundry puts it all together and voila, they make a beautiful investment casting um, in a matter of weeks uh, as opposed to months. Um, so I would say, you know, you're taking something that could take months down to a couple of days and you're taking something that could cost a couple hundred thousand dollars to something that will cost thousands of dollars. So basically kind of the same approach to additive with this. Yeah. Is the, oh, yeah. Okay, yes. And it's all basically part dependent, but uh, looking yeah. at it and our favorite word or, or phrase to say an additive is it depends, right? So <laughs> it does depend, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a previous business partner of mine said we could print anything anytime we have it in 24 hours. I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on. That's not true. 
you know, let's look at the project. Now, it does make sense to use additive for some things. And since I have been involved in this technology, uh, I mean, we used to have one printer, one resin. Now, in your in your career, you're, you have multiple uh, disciplines. You've got medical that is, those printers and those materials have driven toward that product and that those problems. You've got aerospace, which is what your, you know, defense and uh, uh, aerospace, those uh, printers have also done the same thing. Material, size of prints, uh, speed, um, uh, accuracies, and repeatability. Um, so, so it's not a one, you know, not one size fits all. You, you need to look at what the project is. And first of all, does additive even benefit it? And if it does, which technology and what material? Yeah, a lot of people leave that out, right? So what, what yeah. is the challenge? What, and what kind of solution are we providing utilizing a new technology? Because that was something I, I've, I've dealt with a lot on my end, talking to customers that were just hyped about additive, which I love, right? It right. sounds awesome. It's, it's good to be in a, in a room full of energy, right? But then when you start breaking down a specific part and you're like, why would you, why would you want to build this? Right, and they're like, right. well, I just really want to, I, I just really want a titanium version. It's like, okay. And we start breaking <laughs> it down and it's like, well, this is going to actually be twice as long to build. And it's mm -hmm. going to be 14 times the original cost with zero part performance increases. And they're like, well, I thought additive was the way. It's like, well, it depends. Oh, it depends. We it have to look depend. at what, what are we trying to provide? If there wasn't a, a, a traditional or a, um, a, a challenge at the beginning for us to try to overcome or redesign or, or promote some type of solution with this technology, then it should never have been brought to the floor. No, I agree. And that, and that is and also part of Classic because I've done some consulting for local companies to really, you know, if, if so, for example, there is an injection molding company here in town that um, they're insourcing. So they've already moved all their stuff out of China to Taiwan. Now they're moving all their injection molding from Taiwan to America, but, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, but they're looking at diversifying and seeing, can we make these lower volume components using additive? Well, they could run off and go buy a printer and listen to a sales guy give a great pitch, and it's, it may or may not work. It might work for one of their pieces. So to go in there and really analyze, you know, 10 different benchmarks and determine what will work, what will not, and stuff that does work, what printer, what material. And, you know, so there's some value there to really, um, you know, maybe trim off a year and a couple, you know, a couple thousand dollars of mistakes. <laughs> so. For sure. It gives you a... Bringing things in house or insourcing gives you a, a neck to ring that day, <laughs> rather than sending an email waiting four to eight hours to hopefully get right. something back. Mm -hmm. But that's something else I've I've seen a lot of is there's a lot of companies just think look at the automotive industry right so especially mm -hmm. with the chip shortages everything's oh, yeah. outside so now uh, was it Tesla's now bringing in um, all their chips uh, in house here in the states and then now Ford and Chevy are also looking at that as well so wow. um and we're having a lot of other manufacturers come back and that was something that we were even getting challenges from the government was saying hey we used to be the leading manufacturer in the world now we're not right how do we how do we provide actual product yeah. or, or uh, have more defense opportunities or building up these defense, these new uh, technology ideas here in the mm -hmm. States without having to also send this outside of the country to be built to then be shipped back. Right. So there's so a lot I, of things going on. No, I agree. And I think that uh, back to the kind of the core of what we're talking about, which is, you know, defense, 
Um, I think it's very exciting. Uh, it had been a it had been a year or two before I went to Rapid, which is an event hosted by TCT and uh, SME. Um, and I forgot what year that was. I, I did the show a couple times as a 3D system sales person. Then I, when I was done with that stint, I kind of took some time off. But I went back and I was just floored at how many new OEMs and their metal machines that were out there. Now, a lot of those guys are gone now. You know, you kind of walk through. But just the excitement, the innovation, the, you know, the, they know the opportunities out there. So, so you're talking about domestic production, um, using additive, particularly, you know, metals. Um, very exciting. And that's, uh, I know something that's you, your career is heavily involved in. Yeah. I mean, just, just taking into consideration whenever I first started, I never thought metal could really be anything outside of kind of powder. And now we have right. lamb. Now even right. Mark Forge has their metal X. And I'm like, right. wow. Right. And, and if you haven't seen those parts, those, those things are crazy. Like, uh, so th- there's a, there, they even have threads. And I was like, no, that's not a FDM application. And they're like, yeah, right. it is. <laughs> Touch it. Like, watch it be right. built. <laughs> right. I was like, this is fantastic. This is, this is, uh, this is bonkers. So oh. uh, being, being at those conferences really kind of showcased that, you know, each and every year we're really pushing the, you know, the limit of the technology every year. And either, even if those people aren't necessarily around, they've promoted or have either been consumed by these other larger companies, which, the technology still lives and keeps pursuing forward. Right. Well, and I'll, I'll give another plug to AMUG. Mm-hmm. That is a great place to spend, you know, three to four days. It's not a sales show. It's a technology conference. So you get an opportunity to really see what is what and what's going on as far as additive, both polymer and, and metals um, mm-hmm. in, in one, one space. It's a fantastic conference and I have so much fun going there. And it seems yeah. like everyone, everyone that I either worked with or work with is already there. So it's like, Hey, let's just have a meeting. Hey, let's I have hope, another meeting. I hope to see all the same people plus more uh, this year. So Jason, what are some words of advice you would like to give to some inspiring entrepreneurs in the additive space? Advice to young entrepreneurs in the additive space. First of all, I would say pick your partner carefully. Um, Second of all, I would say do your research into what is already being done and what technology may make your potential uh, service obsolete. Uh, Make sure you look at the the scalability of that, the the long-term application of those technologies, which has been pretty good and additive. I mean, I'm running some machines that are, you know, I've got new stuff, but I got some old stuff too. Young entrepreneur, don't go out and buy a brand new car. Save your money, and uh, it, it, the storm will come. Okay, because you were part of the team there in Tulsa for the 0809, I believe. Were you? Or were you there then? I'm not sure if you were. I was right after. Okay, you're right after. So I mean, a recession comes about eleven. I'm not an economist, but I think 11, every eleven years. But there will be rough times. So there's going to be, you know, being conservative with your money. Uh, reinvesting in new technology um, are critical to uh, to the to the life and the success and scalability of a. We used to call them service bureaus, Dylan, but really we're really contract manufacturers because service bureau would imply what I would say is more of a uh, prototype shop. Mm-hmm. Um, to have a shop functioning these days and delivering a production either pattern or a usable part in metal or plastic, you've got to have certification. So you're not, you know, you're not just printing and, and 
you know, measuring with calipers and shipping, you're, you're certifying materials, your tra traceability is important, you know, ISO at least, AS9100 if you're, if you're shipping stuff that's flying, so. Mm -hmm. So pay attention to who you're working with, make sure you have scalable and agile technology, and really focus in on whether, what industry you're really going to be diving into. Sounds good. It's a good summary, yeah. Jason, is there any last comments you would like to give to our audience? I, you know, can I do a shout out? Am I doing a shout out? Yeah, yeah. feel free. Uh, so I just want to shout out, you know, in, so classic, the name, it seems a little bit odd because, it's, you know, additive is supposed to be advanced technology, but we've been around for 30, maybe 35 years. In the lobby at Classic, you'll see pictures of three inventors, uh, Carl Decker, Scott Crump, and Chuck Hall. And these gentlemen, they changed my life. So, you know, we also have a phrase there from, I think it's Sir Isaac Newton that said that we can see further standing on the shoulders of giants, something like that, I'm paraphrasing. But uh, so, you know, shout out to, to, and there's many, many other folks and I'm going to leave out, but those are the three that changed my life that brought technologies that helped my career in the, in the nineties uh, and, and 2000s. I'd like to give a special shout out to AMUG. I appreciate and the AMUG membership. So the folks that voted for me, I appreciate your votes and the folks that did not vote for me. I hope to change your mind with the 2023 uh, meeting. And then, um, you know, I'd like to give a shout out to Joan Speed, who's my partner and partner in Classic now and all the opportunities that we're, we're currently working on right now. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me today on the podcast. And I'm looking forward to seeing you at the next AMUG. Thank you, Dylan. I appreciate your, your time and thank you so much for having me. No worries. All right. I'll see you later. Thanks for listening. And if you would like to learn more about Jason's business venture, please check out ClassicMFG.com. That's C-L-A-S-S-I-Q-M-F-G.com. This podcast is sponsored by Phillips Federal, the leader in the federal marketplace.